Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are taking an off week from our series in the epistles in the book of Colossians. And in this episode, we have a lesson that I taught during the Sunday school hour at Trinity Presbyterian Church here in Birmingham, Alabama, on the topic of family and family culture and family worship. We have just announced an upcoming Theopolis workshop with Dr. David Field. That workshop will start here at the end of this month, March 2022. And for more information, you can find a link in the show notes. With that, we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy this time of teaching. And here's a lesson from yours truly on family and family worship. All right, so this morning we're going to look at the topic of family and specifically family devotions and family devotional life. But in this topic, I want us to avoid the tendency that we have to look at this and just look for kind of how-tos, look for technique. Um, I personally love details like that. I love hearing about what people do, what people are up to, what habits they have, that type of thing. But we don't want to be a people who think of this in a kind of faddish way. We don't want it just to be like a badge of honor that reformed folks can wear and be proud of that we do family worship. But family culture, family life, family devotional life is in dire trouble. And the reasons behind this are big reasons. They're cosmic reasons. And so what I think would be the most helpful for us in this situation with our church and our people is to look at the biblical view of the family and the family's worship, the threats to it, and look at a biblical way forward. We want to think about this biblically. We want to think about this Trinitarianly. So is that a word, Trinitarianly? In a Trinitarian way, uh, it's like the tag of our it's the tag of our church. You know, we want to think about this, uh, have the Trinity as the backbone there, and I think that'll give us the most benefit. God has much to reveal with us in the in, in the Scriptures that would influence our family worship, His people, and uh, I think it'll help us think about family culture as well. And most of us, again, are already convinced of this, but my main goal is just to kind of stoke that fire that's already there. So let's pray, and we'll get going. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that in your Word we can go. Um, chapter by chapter and find things that just help us in our daily lives. We pray that you would build up our families, our marriages, our uh, relationship with our children, our grandchildren. I pray that you would uh, meet with us this morning. Help us to see things clearly in your word. Help me to speak things that are good and helpful. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, let's start at the very beginning. Very good place to start. In Genesis 1, we see God creating the world in six days. He forms the earth and he fills the earth. That's what Peter's been teaching in this class about. And the crown of his creation is man, made male and female. I'd like to actually read a bit of that from Genesis chapter 1. This is verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let's make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So right at the beginning, we can see that God himself is a community. We know from the rest of the scriptures that God 
is uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he makes man, he makes man as inherently communal. Part of being in God's image is being a communal person and being worshipers. Okay? So there's, uh, throughout the scriptures, you see the Trinity uh, being uh, almost, you can almost say a worshiping family, a worshiping community. Um, I don't think it's that uh, black and white. But you can see Jesus coming and saying, I do everything that the Father tells me to do. And the Spirit's coming. You want to look out for the Spirit. So Jesus kind of steps back and honors the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit comes and glorifies the Son and points people to the Father through the Son. And the whole time the Father is saying through the Scriptures, the Son is coming, the King is coming. So there is a worshiping community in the Trinity, and he makes us in his image. Man is male, male and female, which is a community of two persons at the very basics of that. This is a marriage, which we know from chapter 3, calls them husband, wife, and a marriage. Uh, and it's the beginning of a family that would eventually have children that would fill the earth. So we can say that man is made as family. I think we can say this. Man is made as family because God is a family of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We can even say looking uh, that, that man is family is foundational to God's work. Okay, So right here in Genesis 1, we have the foundations for everything. And part of that foundation is man being made as a community, as a family. Okay, So let's keep looking at Genesis. This is in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis uh, 2, 15 and 16, so jumping ahead just a little bit. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So Genesis 2 takes us back a beat to when Adam was formed and Eve was not yet created. And we know from Genesis 1 that God told both of them that every tree was good for food, and this includes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasant to the sight and good to eat, uh, but they weren't to eat of it yet. Uh, there was a stipulation put in place. In Genesis 2, we read about that prohibition at that time of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam alone was told about this prohibition. Okay, that, We see that in Genesis 2. And it would have been his job to shepherd his wife, to tell her about this command, and to protect her from any incoming um, threats. Okay, So keep and guard the garden uh, insinuates that there may one day be something coming into the garden that you're going to need to guard against, right? Um, so that was uh, Adam's job. But tragically, we read in Genesis 3 about the fall. And what's important to realize from the text uh, for our purposes today is that Adam was standing there the whole time. Um, let's, hear, let's hear that from Genesis 3. I think that's easy to forget. The serpent said to the woman, you, don't, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, to, tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay? Now, there's a specific lesson in this for us. And uh, for our purposes today, talking about family and family worship, we want to see that the relationships with family, the community here, uh, that, that relationship is broken in the fall. Okay? Family life, life is man and wife. Uh, life with children, as we're going to see very soon in Genesis chapter 4, is going to be troubled by sin, uh, by thorns and thistles. Life as a worshiping community, if man is made as a worshiping community, life as a worshiping community is now in trouble. And the worshiping family is going to be a target for Satan all throughout the Bible. 
And I, it's important also to notice the passivity of Adam in Eve's sin. Okay, That's going to be a big theme going forward. It's a big theme today uh, in our modern age. Um, the Lord curses the serpent, and then he turns to the woman, and he says, I will multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then to the man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it, etc. Okay. So the curse of the woman is that her relationship with her husband is going to be strained and difficult. And, is, and even raising children and having babies is going to bring pain into her life. And we learn in Genesis 4, right soon, this is not just talking about the act of having children, the act of childbirth. But it's also, I think, biblically, the pain that children bring to a mother's heart. Um, Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. There's a lot of themes throughout the scriptures of when a, a child sins, the hearts, uh, the hearts of the mothers uh, break. That's something that we can see often. And with Adam, he failed to lead his wife in proper worship because they were kind of proto-priests there in the garden. We don't have time to go into that right now. And now his good endeavors are going to be cursed going forward. So in his work, in his life, there's going to be toil and pain. And also in the life of child raising children, that's also going to be pain. So man has sinned, and now the world is plunged into darkness. And we know that they're going to have a difficult time in family life and in the world. The family has been, in, in many ways, torn apart here. The family is now in darkness. The garden of the family is going to produce thorns and thistles. Okay, you're going to have healthy trees like Abel. You're going to have thorns like Cain. And proper obedience to God in the family is now going to be difficult and troubled by sin inwardly and by toil outwardly. So there's problems inside, there's problems outside. But God in his mercy makes Adam and Eve a promise. Okay? He promises to the serpent that one's going to, a seed of the woman is going to uh, crush his head. And he also um, made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them, which is a uh, uh, you know, he's using an animal that's killed to clothe them of their shame, cover their nakedness. Okay, Instead of dying immediately for their sins, which they deserved, God was merciful, he was patient, and he clothed them and covered up their shame. Throughout the scriptures, uh, we can then see, uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the spreading of sin uh, in families, specifically. And, uh, but we can also see God's grace towards families. Okay, So let's look at a little bit of that. Family strife, family problems is a big uh, prominent theme in the Old Testament. Okay, first of all, you have Adam and Eve. We just talked about them. But they start blaming each other, and then there's family strife going forward. Cain kills Abel. He's disobedient to God, and he kills his brother. Genesis 5 has that refrain, and he died, and he died, and he died. All these dads and granddads are passing away, so there's no seed to crush the serpent's head. This is all family stuff. Um, the familial struggles with Abram and Hagar and Sarai. Okay, we can actually see a little bit of that theme of the passivity of man there. Okay, he listens again. He uses that phrase specifically. He uses, uh, God uses the phrase that uh, Abram listened to the voice of his wife, took Hagar. Okay. Uh, Lot's daughters sleeping with him, the death of Sarah. It's a tragic moment in Genesis. Isaac seeking to give the blessing to Esau instead of Jacob. And so then a son and a mother have to righteously deceive dad. Um, so you see those strains there in that relationship. You have Jacob and Esau. You have Joseph and his brothers. And that's just the book of Genesis. That's just the first book of the Bible so far. Sin affects families. And we can see that um, the, it affects the family's loyalties to the one true and living God, too, as it kind of devolves them into sin. Um, the sin in us, in humanity as a community, affects family relationships. And it affects our relationships to God. Okay. 
but it's not just a story of tragedy in the Bible when it comes to the sin of families. There's also God's grace all along the way, right? Uh, these promises and actions of Yahweh should give us great encouragement. So Noah's family is saved in the flood, but not just Noah, but all who belong to him, all who are his. And the New Testament picks up on that language of baptism and the ark and the flood when it talks about our own uh, baptisms. In Genesis, even though man sins in his family, God keeps things on track in his mercy. Okay, so even though over and over again there's no seed to crush the serpent's head, we know throughout the rest of the scriptures that God is faithful to that promise to bring about that seed in Christ. Okay, he gives promises of seed and family to Abraham, okay, Abram, Abraham, and he uh, makes promises to his people. He says, I will establish my covenant between you and me and your offspring throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to bring to you and to your offspring uh, the land, and I will give you uh, offspring. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. And God said to Abraham, As for you, shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring. Okay, this is all family stuff. Uh, God's faithful to give Sarah a baby. Esau and Jacob are restored in their relationship, as far as we can tell. And Joseph, of course, is restored to his brothers at the end of the book of Genesis. Uh, in the giving of the law, in the book of Exodus, Yahweh gives the ten words as a father to his son, Israel. So that's family stuff. And then the fifth and the seventh words also deal specifically uh, about family relationships. Okay, So we can see God, even though things are broken and in darkness, we can see, see God mercifully holding the family together, trying to keep things in line, uh, pulling these relationships back in order. Okay, So in the fifth word, he wants children to honor their parents. And he wants husbands and wives to remain faithful to one another. But not only that, families are to obey these ten words together. Okay, so it's not just uh, mom and dad uh, don't commit adultery, and it's not kids just obey, but it's also the whole family is called to obey all the rest of the ten words, which, inc which includes having no other gods before him, not making graven images, things like that. Okay, so just a brief recap. God is a community. You could say God is a family. We at least have the father-son language in the Trinity. And man is made in God's image, okay? And part of that means that man is made as a community. But in our sin, those relationships, those family relationships, get knotted and entangled, and they're filled with thorns and thistles. And so there's going to be problems going forward throughout the Bible, okay? So let's trace out some of these things throughout the rest of the Old Testament when it comes to family. There's a lot that we could talk about here, uh, but we're, we only have time for basically like a brief overview. Um, in Deuteronomy, we get a peek into what some of family life would involve for God's chosen people. Um, this is actually a key text uh, for me. It's a key, it should be a key text for us to keep in mind as we think about family life and family worship as God's chosen people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So for Israelite parents, not teaching these things every day as they go about their business would have been disobedience. Okay? And specifically, it tells them to talk of Moses' words when they're rising, when they're going to sleep, when they're walking, and when they're sitting around. Okay, I like that, the language used there in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, this is describing a word-dominated home, a story-dominated home, saying things out loud to each other. Okay, um, This simple act of discipleship is often neglected. Kids 
um, on their phones, obviously, is an easy thing to point out, but kids in front of TV. It could also just be doing whatever you want without speaking of the deeds of the Lord. Okay, this is something easy to forget. Um, so we're, they're told specifically to talk about these things out loud. Usually we, we privatize um, our, our religion, we privatize our faith to the point where we just kind of, it's all up here, and in our day-to-day, it's okay as long as it's all up here. But we're slow to open up our mouths and speak of the deeds of the Lord uh, in just basic everyday life and speaking about the story of the Lord. Um, Joshua twenty four fifteen. Um, let's see, where do I want to start reading here? Yeah, that's the classic text. It, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose to stay whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, okay, we will serve the Lord. It's a great text. Uh, moving on, the book of Proverbs is written from a wise father to his son. This is a daddy-son talk on how to navigate life in a way that honors God. And tons of these Proverbs, tons of them, involve uh, the family, not going after the loose woman. Uh, it culminates with a beautiful look at the faithful bride. This is family stuff. There's a lot of Proverbs about listening to the, the teaching of your mother, teaching of, the, of your father, which not only assumes that that teaching is going on, but it's again reiterating, do not forsake the teaching of your mama. Do not forsake the teaching of your dad. And the only way that a child would not be able to forsake that is if that's actually happening. And I think that's because um, they're seeking to obey Deuteronomy 6, right? The book of Psalms, um, which we need to talk about, is not only full of verses about the family, but it's also the songbook of the people of God. And so we have to remember it's not just teaching us stuff, but it's stuff that uh, the people of Israel are singing with their kids, and it's involving family relationships. So it's building up and keeping uh, keeping. God's right relationship with the family in the front of their minds. Here's a smattering of a few psalms. This is 78. Give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Again, you have that specific uh, language there about teaching them. Okay, And what does it say? Oh, yeah, we will not hide them from our children. Okay, so that, that's actually, yeah, that's pretty convicting because hiding something from your children sounds like something that's active, but I think it's something that the devil would love for just be something that we just forget about. Like it's not as if you're actively hiding the word of God from your kids. Um, but I think the devil is so sly that he would love it just to be something that's in your head, but not uh, living out in your, your, your hands and feet and your mouth day to day. Psalm 90. Make us glad for as many days you have afflicted us, and for many years we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their, ch- their children. Okay? Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame. Psalm 128. 
Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children shall be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So a lot of these positive, uh, glorious family verses. And then, um, sadly, because of sin, we also have a lot of verses about the inverse, where the wicked uh, are promised terrible things involving their kids. Appoint a wicked man against him. This is Psalm 109. Let an accuser stand at his right hand when he is tried. Let him come forth as guilty. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. So one of the curses of uh, sin in our life is that not only is the family relationship strained, but you also have uh, the people of Israel, uh, the people of God, praying curses on them that their children uh, would not have a death. Uh, Joel 2, uh, when God calls his people to repentance, he calls the entire community specifically uh, from the oldest to the youngest. So consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants. Okay, so the whole family is called to come and repent, which I think, um, I think whenever John the Baptist and when people are coming to repent and coming to be baptized by John the Baptist, these people know these texts. And so they're coming not just... Uh, to be baptized as individuals, but they're coming as families. They're called as a whole people to come. And then Malachi 4, right at the end of our the way that our uh, Bibles are set up, um, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So God has plans to unravel the knot that has entangled the family and in family relationships from the beginning. Okay, so we see this huge problem with sin, this huge problem entering family life, and then God, in his mercy, all throughout, puts the family back together, gives them songs to sing that involve the glory of the family. And then he has promises uh, with the coming Messiah and with the new covenants that are going to be coming, the new covenant that's going to be coming, uh, promises that that relationship is going to continue to be restored. Okay, so that's an incredibly brief overlook at the Old Testament. Um, I think we could spend easily like three to four hours and not rush uh, too much through it. But uh, there's a lot there about family roles, about family relationships, and of course the sins and the blessings that come into the family. Uh, but let's look at a few New Covenant texts, and uh, we'll get into... By the way, this is, like, this is like 40 minutes Bible and then like five minutes on how to do family worship. Um, so let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect son. The perfect son of his heavenly father. And uh, obviously in this, in this lesson, we're wanting to pick up on that language. We've heard this language our whole life. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son. There's a father. But like, keep in mind that that is family, that is family language that's built right into like, the center of what's going on in the scriptures. Okay. He was the perfect son of his heavenly father and also of his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. God, as a community, is now coming to act, and the Son has entered our story in humanity to restore us. He honored his father and mother and everything and obeyed the law perfectly. Okay. In this world where sin has ruined so much of family culture, Jesus comes as the good son, a good brother. Okay. This is hugely important for us. It's everything, honestly. He not only obeyed, but he also reorients uh, families around himself. Okay, so there's that text in Luke 14. The crowds are around him, and he turns and says to them, If you don't hate your father and your mother, and follow me. Okay, you cannot be my disciple. He's reorienting everything, even family life, around him. Okay, there's no such thing as just a neutral family. Okay, you're either oriented to Jesus or you're not. You're oriented to something else. Um, notice the and remember the the marriage and family language used in talking about the gospel. So Jesus is our bridegroom. We are his bride. 
You can see that in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is also called our brother in Hebrews 2 in Romans chapter 8. So there's brother language, there's bridegroom and bride language. Um, when we uh, become Christians, God the Father becomes our Father. Okay. In his sacrifice, Jesus is the faithful brother, the faithful bridegroom. And on the cross, um, on the cross, in one way, we can say that the family of God is ripped apart. That does not mean that Jesus stopped being the son, but Jesus um, calls out, why have you forsaken me? So God as a community makes man as a community. And in sin, that relationship is torn apart. And in the gospel, Jesus uh, ascends between heaven and earth on the cross and feels that forsakenness for us, even though he is the perfect son, the perfect brother, the perfect bridegroom. Okay, In doing so, he has restored us in our family relationship to the Father. Okay, So God, as a worshiping community, has invited us into that life. Okay? Unlike Adam, who was passive and let his bride fall into sin, Jesus came as the last Adam to lead his people and to die for them. And in doing so, he has restored us to the Father. This is all intentionally family, uh, intentional family language used in the scriptures. The old family now has to die um, and to be raised in Christ. In him we live and move and have our being because the old man, the old family has died. Okay, in baptism, uh, for us and for our children, we died and are now oriented towards the king, towards his kingdom. Okay, so that's a bit of the Gospels. That's a bit of what's going on there. And uh, we now can talk about the epistles and what it means for our family devotional life today. We're almost there. As the Gospel uh, begins to go forth in the book of Acts, we see that families, men and women and their babies, are still a part of God's promises and his saving work. So after Peter preaches on in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, it says this, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we can see that the promises made to Abraham still stand, and this also includes the Gentiles. It includes us, those who are far off. Okay, Families are still saved by God. And this is why we have instructions to families specifically in the epistles. So one example is in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians 1.1 uh, starts uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. Okay, so this book is written to the saints. It's easy to forget that detail when you come to later texts. Okay, to the saints, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Okay. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay. And on and on. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Again, that's Exodus 20 language. Uh, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that, may, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So with all that we've seen in the Old Testament, it's, it seems pretty clear what God is doing here. Okay? Sin has potentially absolutely ruined the family and family culture, but God speaks to us in his word of restoring all of these relationships in grace. Okay? Husbands, wives, wives, husbands, kids to parents. Okay? All of these relationships are still not only intact but blessed in, in the New Testament. Okay, so we've done a lot of work uh, in the scripture so far, and that's our foundation, obviously, but Let's chat specifically about family culture and family worship. 
the first thing to remember is that the church is our primary family. Okay, our families, our individual like biological or adopted families, have been wrapped up into the church, but that is the foundation for everything. Okay, our families found their foundation there in the bride. Okay, our biological families are not ultimate. The church, His people, are the center of His plans on earth, and God is merciful and good to incorporate our families up into that mission. Okay, so our families need to find their meaning, need to find their center, their everything. In the Lord Jesus and in his bride. Okay. And this is when I start asking questions. Is that how I think day to day? Is this how I think about my family? Okay. Even though our families are not ultimate, it does not mean that they are not important. Okay. Remember Ephesians 5 and 6, we just read that there. It's still incredibly important. Okay. So just because something is not ultimate does not mean it's not important. The family is incredibly important. And in many ways, in the scriptures, the family is the backbone of the church. And God continues to add families as families into the body of Christ. But the old family, okay, the, man, the family in Adam must die. Okay, and we see that in baptism. But the family must die and be raised again in Jesus. Okay? Uh, that's actually uh, something so beautiful about baptisms is when you see a child baptized, uh, the child is baptized and commissioned and then given back to the parents. And then the parents are charged with uh, dealing with this eternal soul in a way that honors the Lord, that follows the scriptures. Okay, and I think we, we, uh, we feel that when we have our children baptized, when we see a baptism, we're reminded of that. And then, uh, at least for me, I'm tempted to just kind of go along and forget that I'm dealing with an eternal soul. And the things I do in my everyday, the things that I talk about, the things that I say, the, the ways that I act, affect this eternal person uh, for the rest of not just their earthly life, but their eternal life. The, the things that we do matter. Um, so the culture that we find ourselves in uh, trivializes everything, <laughs> but especially the family. Okay, now we we've zoomed out already this morning to see what God's doing with the family, but we also I think it's it'd be wise for us to zoom out and take a look and see what the world, the flesh, and the devil are doing uh, with the family. I think this is really important. Um, you want to know what your enemy's up to, so that you can know how to to be on the offensive, right? So there are fallen ways of doing family life. We don't even think often in those categories. Um, at least, at least that's that's not how I have thought about family life for most of my life. Um, that there is a fallen way to do things. Um, I think one of those fallen ways to do things is to just coast and and make Christianity just something you do on Sundays, and then uh, just kind of not think about the Lord or the kingdom throughout the week, and just kind of let things happen as they happen. Um, but we want our families to line up with what's going on in the scriptures. The world and the devil hate us, hates our families, and they trivialize the church. The world and the devil would love for you to focus on everything but the kingdom. The world and the devil would love for our family to be so busy that we have no time for anything involving the Lord. And the world and the devil would love for men uh, to be passive, just like Adam was at the beginning, and to coast in leading uh, their family tribe. Okay, and I, I think that the devil has worked hard to get the Psalms out of the church, and I think that it also has led to the Psalms being out of the home, as like the hymn book of our families, our tribal songs. Now, that's the world and the devil. We could keep uh, rattling off things the world and the devil are doing with the family, but also the flesh is a, port, a part of this as well. Families, but especially men of the flesh, would love for us to coast in this life. Okay? 
The flesh would love for us to love sports, music, free time, exercise, quiet, personal time, whatever it may be, anything more than Christ and his purposes for us and for our families. Um, but this is not what we're called to. Okay? Christ has given us and our families a new name. We are now Christ followers. We are Christians. Christ has given us 150 songs to sing as the new Israel. He has given us new rites, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but also new habits of life. Okay, he wants us to give us new. He wants to give us new daily habits, as we saw in the charge to families in Deuteronomy. That's at least bare minimum. Just talking about the things of the Lord, reminding your kids and your spouse and your tribe of the great deeds of the Lord. Okay, God has wrapped up our families, every one of our little families, into a mission far bigger than ourselves, and everything that we do matters. Uh, when we and our children are baptized, they're given back to us, like we just said. Uh, they're given back to us with a ton of responsibility. God is using our families, dads, wives, all the basics of life, brothers, sisters, uh, to support the bride of Christ, the church. And he's given us a mandate to be fruitful, multiply, to have godly seed and a godly culture in our home. Okay, It's important to remember that everything that we do in our life, we do as saints. We do as the people of God. Everything we do. Okay, so family culture and family worship. Uh, uh, important to keep in mind, this is not just for families with little kids. I think uh, a lot of us, uh, that's, that's the way that we think about family worship. This is true for me, so I'm just assuming it's true for other people. We think about family worship as what we do with our little kids. Um, I, was not, I did not do family worship with Ashton before we had kids. Um, that wasn't even on my radar. I mean, we, we prayed together uh, and things like that, but there was, no, there was no sense of like, this is my calling to lead her in these ways. Right, uh, we tend to think, oh, I have responsibility for these kids, but we have no vision for what happens after the kids are out of our house. Those types of things. So we need to keep it. We need to have a bigger vision than just family worship is what we do with our young children. Okay, um, you don't have to wonder what a family culture is. Uh, the question is, what is the culture of the family? Uh, culture and devotion are baked in the human DNA. You can't escape it. Uh, and at the center of every culture is a God. And so the question is, what's the God of your home? Um, remember that as Christians, God is our, um, it's weird to say, but God is our environment. Okay. In him, we live and move and have our being. We are in him and he is in us. Okay. And in building up our homes, we want to set up our homes as a place where we learn uh, together what it means to fear the Lord. It's where we are all educated in the Lord. And again, this is not just for, uh, youngins. Um, and this is a great little quip from Doug, but, uh, Doug Wilson, he says, um, something along the lines of uh, merely reacting to the world is not enough. we, we got to build a godly culture in our homes. Um, and if we want to be miserable in this area, I think all that men have to do is nothing. They just have to be passive. Um, and we'll create miserable families when kids and grown up, kids turn into grown-ups and grown-ups who have no foundation in their life or who they are or what they're up to. So what is the culture of your home? And regarding devotion, devotion and worship... What does your family devote itself to? What does your family worship? Family culture is how we live, and it's also what we pass on to our children and their children's children. So I think, first of all, we need to talk about the primacy of Lord's Day worship at the table with God's bride. This is the place that God's promised to meet with us. Um, what we then, throughout the week, flows out of what we're going to do this morning. So um, I love this. I love that I included this because it's, are there barriers to your family worship to people who are here at 9 a.m. for Sunday school? Um, maybe not, but it's something to consider. Uh, I would highly recommend prioritizing worship uh, every week. Um, not just I would recommend. God calls us to this. 
uh, even on vacations, uh, do everything you can. Okay, if someone's sick, how many of you can get there? Okay, um, yeah, don't don't find missing worship an easy thing ever. Um, and remember that this isn't just for kids, but it's for your own soul. Okay, you can imagine a situation where a uh, husband and wife raise kids going to church every Sunday, and then when the kids are gone, the parents are lazy with it. And what does that speak to their children and to their children's children? It speaks volumes. Okay? Remember Deuteronomy 6 that we read earlier. Our homes are outposts of the church. Um, in our house, uh, we uh, purchased like this uh, church window. It's made of wood. It looks like, a, it, looks like a, it would be filled with stained glass, but it's not. And it hangs above our couch. And it's a good reminder, like this is an outpost of what's happening on, on Sundays. Our home is an outpost of the church. Yeah, so what's your family devoted to? Is the culture of your home for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you like the culture in your home? And if it's not where you want it, uh, chart a course to get in the right direction. We want to teach uh, our children. We uh, also want to live lives that are happy, happy Christian lives. And I think some of where we can get off track is in how we think about family worship and family devotions. And we're not just interested in special times of worship. Uh, in our home. So like a 10 or 15, 20 minute devotional time with our families. We're not just interested in that. We want to be thoroughly Christian. Okay. And these are all the basics of the Christian life. Thanks for meals. Okay. Discipline and love and discipline tied to the word. Remind a kid uh, when they get a spanking who they are. This is not just dad punishing you. But this is God loves you so much that he gave you a dad that can help get you in the right direction. You belong to him. This is God loving you right now. How we reconcile when we sin against each other. Uh, how we engage in entertainment. How we approach sports. How we approach talents. Uh, how we think and approach all of life is tied um, to the Christian faith and should be done in a thoroughly Christian manner. Okay, Whether we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, God's interested in all of that and he wants us to do all of it for the glory of God. This is our calling. This is what Ephesians, uh, the Psalms, Proverbs, Deuteronomy, that's what all of these things are talking about. All right. Yeah, not for what you paid for. Uh, we have a vision, I think, a little bit, a little bit of a clearer vision for the whole home. Uh, think about Deuteronomy 6. This is not just about special times of worship, but about what we're doing all the time, how we're opening our mouth and speaking about the deeds of the Lord. And um, so before uh, we very briefly discuss the details, uh, it, it'll be helpful, I think, uh, to set goals and to make a plan. Okay, Leading the family takes initiative, and we don't want to be like the first Adam, and let our garden get run over with weeds. Okay, so let's make a plan. What are you going to do? What are you going to read? Where are you going to be? Are you going to be at the table? Or are you going to be on the couch? We do the couch. Uh, where are your kids at mentally and emotionally? Okay, don't do family worship for another family. Do family worship for where your family is at. Okay, uh, Both on age and just where, where they're at mentally. Do you have little kids and older kids? How is that going to affect things? Don't set the bar too high, but have real goals. Set goals for your family. Uh, know yourself, know your position in life, know your kids. Is it going to be three nights a week? Is it going to be uh, just making sure you're praying at every meal, Wednesday nights, memorizing scripture, reading the whole Bible to them? How many times are you going to read the whole Bible to them before they're out of the house? What time of day will be best for this? Will there be days of the week that you're going to have to miss? Okay. What's your vision uh, for you and your spouse after your kids are grown? Okay. You're going to memorize all the Psalms after the kids are grown? That's part of my plan. I don't think it'll be done before the kids are out of the house. But, uh, you know, set a vision for what that's going to look like. Think about it. Uh, if uh, I love, I can't remember who said it. If you name, aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So all you got to do is just coast and nothing will get done. All right, so three elements uh, for family worship in the Bible and in Christian uh, families. Read, sing, and pray. Then keep things that simple. 
Remember, most people in the history of the world could not read and didn't have anything like books. These were memorized stories. These were memorized songs that they heard and sung over and over and over again. So don't be afraid of repetition. God loves repetition, uh, so use it. Read the Bible. Uh, family worship should not feel like church because it isn't church. Okay? It should feel familiar, obviously, and normal, but it isn't church. So I would recommend not preaching a sermon. Uh, I would recommend just reading the text and explain things as, as you're able, as you're uh, as you're able to get it done. Are there words you don't know? Uh, are there words your kids don't know that you could explain to them? Maybe there are times in life where you can prepare a full lesson for family worship every day. Uh, I'm not there, and I don't know that many of us are. Um, I would read chapter by chapter. Can you read the whole Bible to your family? Okay. Um, second, so that's read, sing. Um, I would uh, try to prioritize the Psalms, but great hymns as well. The Psalms are our songbook. If you want a uh, need to buy books for everyone, you can find a way to do that. But also just keep it simple. Memorize things over time. Take a month to learn a psalm or a hymn. Take two months to learn it. These things stack up over time really quickly. Okay, so sing. Even if you don't sing well. Singing in our culture has become way too performative where we feel like if we can't sing great, we shouldn't sing at all. And so we kind of just hold back if we don't have a great voice. And I think that's a flaw. I think that's a flaw in our system. Everything in our world has become performative. And so... We tend to just kind of slack off when it comes to singing, but we're called to sing. And then lastly, pray. Pray for each other. Pray for those in our church. Pray for neighbors. Pray for the world. And actually pray. Okay. Um, some other things that can be involved are in more intense study, maybe. Memorizing scripture, silence, stillness. These are all biblical things. Uh, but don't overthink it. I would act and then I would assess what's working. Ask your spouse what works, what doesn't work. Should, you know, should we change this based on what where we're at right now, and then uh, keep going. Okay, oak trees don't grow uh, with just a day of sunshine and water. They grow with faithful water and sun every day. So seek to be faithful over the long term. Uh, be flexible, be brief, make it regular, and God, I think, will will bless that. Uh, what my family does, if it's of any interest, uh, and I would say that we do this kind of limping along. So there are, there are seasons of uh, great faithfulness, seasons where we need to put on the brakes and reassess and figure out better ways forward. Uh, I would say like three days a week, four days a week, Ash and I start our mornings in the Word and prayer together. Um, and if that doesn't work, uh, maybe some, find something that, that works for you and your spouse. We actually just sit on the couch and put on the Bible app and just listen to the audio and pray and start our day with that. That puts us in a good position to receive the kids instead of reacting to the kids. Um, and it's a way that we can have a text that we've gone through together. We're just doing the TPC Bible plan. And we, you know, we all, like, like I said, we're limping along. So we'll get behind and we'll get back on track. And we'll, how many days do you, are you listening to today to catch up? You know, we're always having that conversation. Okay. This is not perfect stuff. We talk about the Lord in our discipline and our training and our homeschooling and our attitudes. We try to. And how we approach sports. We're trying to teach Abel humility. We're trying to teach him if you're good, like go after it. Um, work hard, honor the Lord. But it's God who's given you these gifts. You know, these things are just normal parts of the conversation. Uh, family worship is not a dour occasion. Okay, it's it's a joy. Allow for mild distractions. Okay, if <laughs> someone makes a noise or something in family worship, laugh. Like just you know keep going. Uh, these uh, I I'm prone to get way too serious, and so I uh, have tried to make an effort to loosen that up. Family worship is is a, a relaxed time. Family worship happens regularly, but not every day in the Moats home. I am on a track to read the entire Bible to my kids before they're out of the house at least a few times. Uh, it incorporates psalm singing. We always sing a psalm at the beginning or end. 
Um, and my goal is for them to leave the house memorizing at least 50 psalms. I would love that. And then in our morning time before homeschool, we memorize scripture together. And some Bible lessons also happen there. Okay? Um, I'm going to close with reading Deuteronomy again. I think that would be a good way to send us off. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.